Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari and our weekly zoo news episode. It is so nice to have y'all back, and uh, for those who it's your first time or who have really, really short memories, um, this is Rossafari Zoo News. We're going to spend about a half hour or so going through the headlines in the world of zoos and aquariums and conservation and just general cool animal stuff. And um, for those of you that were here last week, you know that we took a little departure to to kind of do a deep dive on a couple of heavier stories. And it wasn't the happiest thing in the world, but um, we're back. Normal stuff this week. Good stories, sad stories, happy stories, all the stories, probably some jokes or puns. I don't know because I haven't recorded them yet, but I'm assuming that they will be in there because I am a goober. Um, and so, yeah, we're back. All the, the fun, goofy songs you've come to expect, all the good stuff, animal holidays. Yay to all of it. And speaking of animal holidays, here in the U.S., uh, if you're listening to this the day that I'm releasing it, we have just celebrated Thanksgiving, a... um complicated holiday historically but one of my favorites when it comes to the time with family and also the uh the particular meal that gets eaten here it is it is my favorite um i love pumpkin things i love turkey i love mashed potatoes and corn mixed together it's a thing i've done it since i was a little kid and no one can tell me it's wrong but uh anyway i hope that those of you that celebrate uh thanksgiving had a good one and um, also uh, a friendly reminder that today is, again, in the States where we prize commercialism above not everything else. Uh, today is Black Friday, a day traditionally spent blowing lots of money on items that may really be on sale or may just be pretending to be on sale. Uh, but hey, whatever. Just a friendly reminder, though, and this is this is zoo newsworthy. This is newsworthy to save some of your money because um, Tuesday, November thirtieth, is Giving Tuesday, and this is a tradition that um, is more recent than Black Friday. But the idea is that that's the day that you you take some of the money that you would spend on the commercial season ahead and instead give back and. Friends, uh, there are a lot of zoos and conservation organizations that that need your help. COVID has been a bear on those industries um, <laughs> and everything else. And so uh, just a friendly reminder that Tuesday is Giving Tuesday, and that is, again, November 30th. And there are a lot of organizations out there that need your help. So every little bit that you can spare can go a long way. And a lot of times there are places that are doing matches or coming up with some, you know, cool ways that you can help. So Tuesday the 30th is an absolutely great time to pick your favorite zoo or conservation organization or do some research into, you know, an animal that you love and find out who's working to protect them in the wild or a zoo that has them that maybe could use a hand and see if there's any matching donation type stuff happening or anything special. And don't forget to give to those amazing institutions. 
And also on Giving Tuesday, you can make sure that you're giving me a follow at Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Rossafari Pod on TikTok. And uh, if you also want to throw a couple bucks my way every month to help to support the pod, you can do that by giving on Tuesday or any day at patreon.com slash Rossafari. Don't worry, I love and hate myself just as much as y'all do right now. <laughs> And while I'm plugging things, here's an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right, so here's your friendly reminder that if you see any stories that you think would fit a Zoo News episode, you can send those along to me, tag me in them on social media, email me at rossafaripod at gmail.com, or um, carrier pigeons also work. I like pigeons, especially Pidge, as you heard on Tuesday's episode, and if you didn't hear that one yet, you should really check it out because it's really cool. This is my time at the Ecotarium. But uh, yeah, so without further ado, let's get to it. One, two, three, four. Ow, oh, there's a funky monkey, tree kangaroo, or a binturong. It's two news. Yeah. All right, so I want to start off this week by bringing up something from last week, but don't worry, it's it's in a happy way. Uh, I want to give some props to Clearwater Marine Aquarium, uh, who you know lost winter and was very transparent about it last last week. Um, they have been doing so much amazing stuff, not only for the community to be able to properly mourn and remember winter, but also for their staff. They have hired counselors. They took a day where they were closed. They brought in a therapy dog to hang out with their staff. I mean, the aquarium has been doing such amazing stuff to take care of their people that I am just so impressed. Um, compassion fatigue is such a real problem in this industry, and losing an animal is always horrible, but losing an animal that is a celebrity and also you have the connection of, wow, shouldn't have lived anyway, and then we helped and all of that, I'm, I'm sure it's, I can't even imagine how heartbreaking this has been. So seeing the aquarium take these steps to make sure that their staff is well taken care of has meant the world to me, and I am just so impressed by that. So, you know, nice job, Clearwater Marine Aquarium. 
And of course, Clearwater is not just focused on winter. They are still functioning as a aquarium and conservation organization. And so they also took this time to announce that the record-breaking mortality event that has been happening for Florida manatees, which you've heard about on multiple episodes of this podcast, um, is still happening and is still a problem. And so as their membership in the Manatee Rescue and Rehabilitation Partnership, uh, they have dedicated more staff and more equipment to that cause, and they are also working to open a new manatee rehabilitation site in Tapron Springs in Florida this year and another site directly at the aquarium in the next three years. It is so awesome to see that even in this hard time, Clearwater Marine Aquarium is moving forward with helping the animal world. I am so impressed. And speaking of impressive things. Uh, Way back in May, the Biden administration outlined a vision for how the United States can work collaboratively to conserve and restore the lands, water, and wildlife that support and sustain the nation. It's referred to as the America the Beautiful Initiative, and it is a decade-long effort to support locally-led and voluntary conservation and restoration efforts across public, private, and tribal lands and waters in order to create jobs and strengthen the economy while also helping to tackle climate change and other natural crises and address inequitable access to the outdoors. One of the ultimate goals of this initiative is to conserve 30% of America's lands, waters, and ocean by the year 2030. So as I mentioned, this was back in May, but what makes it newsworthy now, and also zoo newsworthy, is that over 180 zoos, aquariums, and museums have decided to partner together to support the initiative. I shall now read you a list of all what. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, um, you know, a lot of our favorites are on there. A lot of amazing zoos, amazing aquariums, exactly who you would expect are, are taking part in the administration's efforts to help conservation. And I just love seeing that partnership. So, as I mentioned in the intro, it is now the holiday season in the United States. And that means zoo lights or zoo lanterns or zoo-lumination or a lazumination or whatever. Take the time to look into your local zoos and aquariums and see what they are doing for the holidays. A lot of times zoos now will be open into the evening and you can go and see them all lit up with fancy cool lights and displays and sometimes there's a conservation message and sometimes there's hot cocoa and s'mores and uh You know, it's not only a really nice way to spend a beautiful evening, but it also really helps the zoos. I've been told from a lot of different people who are involved in these types of things that uh, zoos make a lot of their money off of this kind of thing. So um, if you're looking for a nice evening activity that's going to make you cold, but also warm your heart, then go and support your local zoo in whatever effort they are doing involving lights and their property. Yay. All right, so next we are going to talk about the accreditation of the Columbus Zoo. I know you've all been really curious to know what's going on with that, and uh, this is not AZA accreditation that we're talking about here. Gotcha. But uh, what we are talking about is that the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium is excited to announce its accreditation by the Alliance of Marine Mammal Parks and Aquariums, the AMMPA, an international association and accrediting body specializing in marine mammals. 
This is definitely a prestigious thing, and uh, there was a comprehensive two-day on-site inspection of the zoo's manatee, polar bear, sea lion, and harbor seal facilities. Um, So there's some accreditation at the Columbus Zoo uh, as they await their final verdict from the AZA, and I... I admit, I'm curious. I I don't know if this is a coincidence, something they were going after anyway, or if this is something to make sure they have some accreditation right away because of the laws in Ohio that say that only accredited institutions can keep their animals. I'm not even sure if this accreditation counts towards that law or if that law even will apply to the Columbus Zoo right now. There's so many things up in the air, but regardless... It is really nice to see that Columbus got this, and it's a nice reminder that even with everything going on between them and the AZA right now, that they are an amazing facility that is one of the most prestigious in the world and deserves to be accredited as such. Okay, so for this next story, we need a little bit of historical context. Uh, You may remember back before I was doing the whole podcast thing that there was a woman who two years ago was charged with trespassing when she went to the lion exhibit at the Bronx Zoo and started taunting the animals, trying to get them to dance with her and all kinds of crazy stuff. I want to be clear here. She was not in the lion exhibit. That matters, and we'll talk more about why later, other than the fact that, you know, they could have killed her. Um, But the um, she she went over the first barrier and into an area where the public is not allowed and was charged with trespassing. So two years later, a woman did the same thing. She went over the first barrier, was still across the moat from the lions, and started throwing money and roses at the lions she was literally making it rain hundreds not in the exhibit but in a planted area on the other side of the moat um and it was the same woman maya autry 32 has been busted for trespassing in the lion area of the bronx zoo again This time, she even got dressed up and started yelling about how much she had missed her king and how she was back for him. So, man, I guess the sequels really do always get just a little bit worse, don't they? But anyway, part of the reason that I am telling this story is because it's news that happened at a zoo. And part of the reason why is because if you look at the reporting of this story, almost every single place said she got into the lion exhibit. She did not. There was a moat. There was a barrier. The cat had no chance to reach her. She had no chance to reach the cat, I guess, unless she went into and out of the moat, which would be challenging. Um, So it's not like she was going to be mauled by the lion, which is how a lot of this is being presented. And, um, you know, again, I just I like to point out that facts matter. That said, this woman definitely needs to be charged with criminal trespassing, needs to be not allowed back into the zoo, needs to, um, you know, have the justice system take care of her and also needs to leave the damn lions alone. But the media also needs to do a much better job reporting on this kind of stuff and being accurate. On a less cuckoo banana pants note, the Detroit Zoo announced that it has released 87 critically endangered dusky gopher frogs that were bred and raised at the Detroit Zoo's National Amphibian Conservation Center back into their Mississippi homeland. 
Uh, these frogs used to be pretty abundant throughout the entire southeast of the United States, but now is nearly extinct. However, the Detroit Zoological Society has been working to conserve them since 2018, and with this latest release, can now announce that there are 338 gopher frogs that they have put back into the ecosystem. Yay, conservation. Oh, and hey, here's a new podcast alert for y'all. You're only allowed to listen once you've caught up on Raw Safari, of course. But the San Diego Zoo has released a podcast called Amazing Wildlife, a San Diego Zoo podcast. And when you search for it on your podcast app, make sure that you do get the San Diego Zoo one, as there is another Amazing Wildlife podcast that is not from the San Diego Zoo. Only the first episode is out right now. Probably the second one, by the time you hear this, will be out as well. Uh, and it addresses elephants. And it's a, it's a quick podcast, about 17 minutes long, but it's, it's an interesting conversation. And I'm going to be curious to see how this podcast develops and, and how it grows and changes. Um, I love one of the hosts, Rick Swartz, is a... Uh, an awesome dude. And, um, he helped me out with some advice early on when I started Raw Safari and I just, uh, yeah, it's worth checking out. So I hope you enjoy it. But I mean, I do have to say one thing, their actual theme song sounds like, I don't know if there's a word for what a serious version of a parody song would be, but it sounds like a, that for this. Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. Conservation news. And in case you're already sick of hearing my voice, which uh, I could understand, although also would not be great since I am the host of this podcast, we are now going to take you to senior penguin correspondent on the Rossafari team, Katie Prop. Take it away, Katie. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is proposing to list the emperor penguin, a flightless seabird, endemic to Antarctica, as threatened with a 4D rule under the Endangered Species Act. Climate change, specifically melting sea ice, is the primary threat to the species. The proposed rule was submitted to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the Department of Interior. Penguins International submitted a comment in October of this year in support of changing the emperor penguin status to threatened. It's as simple as this. Without sea ice, the world won't have emperor penguins. These flightless birds are critically dependent on sea ice as their habitat for breeding, foraging, and molting. Increases in atmospheric greenhouse gases and the shrinking of Antarctic sea ice extent will reduce the population viability. By the year 2100, the probability of a decline in emperor penguins to quasi-extinction was predicted to be at least 36% according to an IPCC climate projections report on emperor penguins. That was Genovriere et al. in 2009. It is very challenging to collect accurate data on emperor penguin breeding colonies and population trends due to the conditions in Antarctica. A lot of population trend data is based on satellite imagery that is over 10 years old. I'm talking about satellite images from 2009. Using satellites, you can find penguin poop on the ice and make estimates of populations. Looking at penguin poop is more reliable than counting penguins since we know emperor penguins go out to forage and might not all be on sea ice for counting. 
You may ask, what about a helicopter population assessment? <laughs> First of all, Antarctica has high winds up to 90 miles an hour, if not higher. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to get into the chopper if I'm going to be blown across the world. So if you look up emperor penguins on the IUCN red list, the population trend is listed as decreasing. However, a lot of the population details are unknown. Why does the data matter? In order to be listed as threatened under the Endangered Species Act, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service requires evidence that the species is truly in trouble. Information such as species biology, range, population trends at breeding colonies, historical and current range distribution, colony names and locations, sea ice conditions in Antarctica, and modeling efforts of the sea ice conditions are just a few examples of what they're looking for. Having emperor penguins listed as threatened needs to happen as soon as possible. Once an animal is listed as threatened and listed as such on the IUCN red list, it's basically legitimized and intergovernmental organizations need to take action by creating policies. This includes CITES, the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species, and CMS, the Convention on Migratory Species. What can come of this? It really depends. I think the tourism industry around Antarctica will look different. And I think actions reducing CO2 emissions will hopefully be pressed harder on big businesses and governments. In a 2019 study published by Tratton, you're going to hear me use this scientist's name a lot, um, definitely one of the leading scientists in measuring penguin populations. Um, anyway, in a 2019 study, the most recent study I could find, the number of emperor penguin breeding colonies is 54 with approximately 256,500 breeding pairs. The breeding pair numbers are important to understand because without partners, you won't have chicks. Not to mention emperor penguins need large colonies to stay warm during the freezing Antarctic temperatures, which can be around minus 76 F with winds of 90 miles an hour, like I had mentioned before, <laughs> during the egg laying seasons of June through August. Penguins that cannot huddle effectively may suffer greater energy demands and weight loss and, of course, adult male mortality during that winter fasting. So if you think of March of the Penguins, those males stay with those eggs and go without foraging that whole time. Both male and female emperor penguins must forage prior to breeding. The intake of food helps build their body reserves that allows the females to lay a single egg and the males to fast during that incubation. There's a wonderful uh, scientific article that was published in 2020 by Tratton et al. Um, he has a fantastic article all about penguin foraging. Emperor penguins, as you may know, they're mesopredators. So they're kind of in the middle of that food chain. So they've got predators and they have prey. So they're kind of in the middle. So they primarily rely on Antarctic krill and fish for their sustenance. And over the last 50 years, the annual winter sea ice cover has decreased and the regional warming has reduced krill abundance, and that has altered the marine food web. That is another wonderful article I highly suggest you look up. It's in several scientific, um, backed by several scientific researchers. Um, so that predation success of penguins, it directly influences breeding success. Penguins, they depend on predictable areas within the ocean where prey aggregate. So they can go to those spots because they know that's where that food is going to be. 
But as warmer waters occur, it's going to cause the prey to seek cooler waters, which again is going to increase the cost pursuit for penguins. So we can see how that warming climate is going to impact emperor penguin colonies. One of the stories I read about that I think is so impactful is from 2006. A penguin biologist, P.D. Borsma, absolutely admire this woman, um, visited East Antarctica and encountered an ice-free sea where an emperor colony used to be. During September, a large storm hit that area and it broke up the fast ice, resulting in reproductive failure of the entire colony. Unfortunately, this isn't the only case of losing an, an entire emperor penguin colony due to changes in sea ice. By the 1990s, there was reductions in sea ice that caused shifts in penguin abundance and distribution. Now, mind you, these are a couple articles from 1992, 1996, um, 1997, and 2020. In the austral summer of 2016 and 17, the sea ice extent in the Weddell Sea dropped to a near record value, and that weakened sea ice caused a catastrophe of the Brunt population. So the Brunt population was a group, a colony of emperor penguins. They each have little nicknames like Brunt, for example, so we can kind of identify what group is what group. They had about 14,000 to 25,000 breeding pairs for several decades, but all of that was lost due to the sea ice loss. In 2019, satellite imagery reviewed by the scientists Fretwall and Tratton revealed um, that the second largest emperor penguin breeding colony at Halley Bay suffered three years of almost total breeding failure. The reason why I'm telling you all this is not to be like, oh, boo, everything stinks. You know, like, uh, how dare we continue to melt the sea ice with our emissions? But the truth is we need to take action, and this is why this is such a big deal. We need emperor penguins to be listed so that policies can be changed. We need to work hard to preserve sea ice. Those emperor penguins are so dependent on it. Once again, it's for their breeding, their foraging, and their molting. I know that was a lot of information I just threw at you, but hopefully that gives you some insight into emperor penguins and what they're going through. If you care and want to learn more about our penguin projects, you can check out www.penguinsinternational.org. Thank you. Thank you, Katie Prop, for always showing up and showing me how to do my job better than I do. You are amazing and passionate and informed and inspiring, and I love you. Thank you for sending me that. And for sending me five scientific articles about penguins and penguin poop to read in my spare time. Y'all, get yourself a Katie Prop in your life. I highly recommend it. 64 years after the River Thames in London was pronounced to be biologically dead, conservation efforts to bring the river back to life have been working well. Recently, three species of sharks, including the taupe shark, the hounds shark, and the spur dog shark, have been found living and actually thriving in the Thames. On a side note, spur dog sharks are known for being venomous, and their poison cannot kill humans, but it does create discomfort and swelling, so um, stay away from those, London friends. Anyway, along with the three species of sharks, the Thames has now expanded to support more than 115 species of fish and 92 species of birds. 
It may be the wrong holiday for this, but I guess that is a fair time to say, it's alive. One of my favorite things to talk about in conservation news is how conservation organizations often take what seem to be unique steps to save species, such as helping the people in the area or saving their habitat or other things that may not seem to directly impact the species, but totally does. Another one of my favorite things to talk about is red pandas. So here's a story with both. My good friend, Sonam Tashi Lama, who is the program coordinator of Red Panda Network in Nepal, was recently awarded the title of Vaccination Champion for World Rabies Day. This is because of an initiative Red Panda Network has done in Nepal to help vaccinate. You guessed it. It's right there in the names. No, wait. Dogs? Dogs? Why are they vaccinating dogs? Well, actually, it turns out that one of the many threats facing red pandas is that there is a wild dog population in Nepal that runs free and is prone to getting rabies. And those dogs then end up biting red pandas. And the rabies spreads and kills the red pandas and bad things. So... The uh, Red Panda Network has undergone this major program to vaccinate the wild dogs of Nepal, and it has been incredibly successful, and uh, that effort has been rewarded with this award, and I think that's really cool. Yay, Red Panda Network, and yay, dogs. And last but not least in conservation news this week, the first North Atlantic right whale calf of the season has been spotted. Now, New England Aquarium is one of the institutions that really takes care of the conservation of the species and tracks their population and stuff. And if you are interested in following along and learning more about how the population of North Atlantic right whales change over the coming birthing season, I highly recommend following at N-E-A-Q. You'll also get to see lots of pictures of Myrtle, the sea turtle, and Queen of the Aquarium. So that's like a win-win. In other news. A quick heads up for my listeners in Massachusetts and areas around there. Multiple cases of leptospirosis have been reported in dogs in Massachusetts. This is commonly known as lepto, and it's a bacterial disease that can affect the kidneys and other organs of dogs. The results can be debilitating or even fatal. And um, dogs are not the only animals that can get infected. Other animals, including humans, can get infected when they are exposed to the urine of an infected animal or through contaminated water contaminated by said urine. Uh, dogs wildlife, rodents, livestock, they can all get lepto, and it is spreading heavily through Massachusetts right now. Also, keep in mind, as we've seen with another disease that is uh, taking the world by storm right now, um, state boundaries don't actually matter to the disease. So while this is currently contained in Massachusetts, this matters for everyone. Keep in mind that there is a safe and recommended lepto vaccine available for your dogs. So, uh, you know, vaccines are good. You know, that is the stance of this podcast. And also, if you live in the area, it is probably helpful right now to uh, reduce your dog's exposure to wildlife, livestock, rodents, and contaminated water, including not allowing them to drink from puddles and not allowing them to swim in any water that might be contaminated by any of those things. 
And now, Rossafari French correspondent, Jacques Rossi. Uh-huh. So in my land of France, they have recently decided... No! All right, fine, fine, fine. I won't do the accent, but can I at least keep the accordion? No! Fine. You know, podcasting used to be fun. <laughs> anyway, France has recently passed some really big animal rights legislation, which will mean that wild animals are no longer allowed to be used in circuses and also uh, prohibits the ownership of certain exotic animals, uh, like private ownership, within the next seven years. And on top of all of that, will ban live dolphin shows in the next five years and immediately end mink farming in the country. The hope is that the legislation will help address wildly reported animal welfare concerns at the circuses and other institutions that are going to have to now let go of their animals because of this legislation. Bonsoir, animal abusers. All right, so let's wrap up November and head into December. A quick reminder that the rest of November is still Manatee Awareness Month. And uh, then let's see, when this podcast comes out, it is Friday the 26th, which is Black Friday in the United States, as we said. Saturday the 27th is Small Business Saturday. And I also want to encourage you all to keep in mind those small conservation-minded businesses. Uh, You've heard me interview a lot of people that are artists and they give money to conservation organizations and stuff like that. Uh, There's just a lot of really cool stuff out there. So keep those in mind for Small Business Saturday and for your gift giving over the holiday season, should that be your thing. November 28th is the start of Hanukkah. And then November 29th, which is Monday, is World Anteater Day and World Tamandua Day or Tamandua Day. I've heard it pronounced both ways. Um, So, you know, happy World Tamandua Day to Colleen Adams and all who celebrate. Uh, And it is also International Jaguar Day. I assume that's because jaguars like to eat various anteaters. It all goes together. I don't know. But also, it's kind of funny that, you know, World Anteater Day is also World Tamandua Day, but they call it two separate things because Tamanduas are anteaters. Uh, These things get weird sometimes. But anyway, the 29th is going to be a pretty great day unless you are an ant or more accurately a termite, which is what anteaters eat the most of. Keep in mind that Tuesday the 30th is Giving Tuesday, as I mentioned at the top of this episode. And then Thursday, December 2nd, is National Mutt Day. Yay, puppies. And those are your animal holidays for the week. Yay, zoos. Another episode is in the books, or more accurately, on the interwebs. And I would like to say thank you to my Red Panda patrons, Laura Shank and PJ Bevan. And a huge thanks to everyone who contributed stories last week and this week, including Katie Prop, Colleen Lenahan, Anya Keen, Alicia Gaudet, Snow Leopard Runner on Instagram, Dylan Hoy, Kim Cooley, Peter Oilo, Andrew King, Karen Gallinaw, and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. And remember, friends, the phrase Newsy Credits Backwards is Steiderk Yiswen. Thank <laughs> you.
The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.